If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Some people could put a negative spin on the best of news. Sadly, even some Christians make a habit of this. What does God think of such pessimism? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares what happens when a messenger greets good news with a doom and gloom attitude. From Elisha, the double-blessed prophet, here's David to introduce his message, A Day of Good News. Well, have you ever noticed that people respond to news in a kind of a preordained way for many of them, it seems? People respond to good news differently. Some are skeptical and deny that it could be true. Others doubt but are willing to consider. When Elisha promised that God would meet the needs of a city, their responses were varied, just as when people hear the good news of the gospel today. This is a really revealing lesson that we're going to study in just a moment. And if you're looking for the passage of Scripture, it's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 through chapter 7, verse 20. This is the study of Elisha. And I hold in my hands, uh, as I produce this program, uh, the study guide for Elisha, the double-blessed prophet. It's beautifully designed, and we'd love for you to have a copy of it. You can go to our website and find out how to order it. Better yet, why don't you consider making this uh, the curriculum for your next small group? Get enough study guides for everybody in your group. You get the CD package so you can listen to the teaching before every lesson and facilitate the discussion, and you're ready to have a great small group. I hope you will do that and that you will get involved in studying the Word of God with us in this special way. Well, um, I also want to remind you that we're coming to your area for an event. If you live in Tampa, Florida, we're going to be there October the 5th in the Yingling Center. If you live in Jacksonville, Florida, or the surrounding area, on October the 7th, we're going to be in the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena. October the 26th in Houston, Texas at the Berry Center. October the 28th in Fort Worth, Texas at the Dickies Arena. Tickets are available at davidjeremiah.org slash tour. They're free, but you must have a ticket. So order your tickets today and be ready to join us in one of these four places as we enter the tour season again this fall. Right now, it's time for us to finish up this week with this wonderful and encouraging message called A Day of Good News. I heard somebody say, I'm just ready for some good news. And I agree, we could all use some good news, couldn't we? If you're looking for some positive stories about life, There are many places to go, but I think the best place to go is the Bible. It's a master class 
on the subject of good news, especially the New Testament, the term gospel, which means good news, is found almost 100 times in the New Testament. In fact, it appears in 19 of the 27 books of the New Testament itself. And it's the central theme to the life and ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a good news person. When the angels broadcast Jesus' birth, they said it was good news, Luke 1.19. When Jesus began his public ministry, he went from city to city proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, says the Bible. And when Jesus called people to follow him, he told them to repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. In fact, here is how Jesus understood his entire mission in life. In Luke 4.18 and 19, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. What's so good about the good news? Well, I think the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I declare to you the good news which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's pretty good news, isn't it? That's what we call the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. In the simplest of terms, the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and was raised back to life for our justification. And now as we come to these last few episodes in the life of Elisha, we arrive at a story in his life that's all about good news. From beginning to end, the entire narrative revolves around the theme of good news. Elisha promises it. Four lepers proclaim it. The king of Israel doubts it. His servants prove it. And a messenger rejects it. All about the good news. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 2 Kings chapter 6. We left Elisha in the city of Samaria in northern Israel. You remember? They had come to get Elisha from Samaria There were so many of them that Elisha's servant was frightened. And he came into his master and he said, Alas, Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha prayed and the people who had come to get him all went blind. And then Elisha led them back to Samaria and prayed again. And they opened their eyes and they were not the ones captivating Elisha. They were now the captives in Samaria. And it was quite a story how God defeated the enemies who came after Elisha. And now, sometime later, there's another king. His name is King Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he mobilizes his army and comes against Samaria. And the result was that there was a famine in the city. In fact, the Bible tells us that the siege of Samaria lasted so long, this is pretty gross, but a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. To put this in perspective, some scholars believe this would be the equivalent of us paying about 80 months' wages to eat the head of a donkey. In other words, food was so scarce that people would pay a fortune for food that was hardly edible, and beyond that, it ultimately resulted in cannibalism. Against this background, we come to one of the most incredible predictions in the Bible— 
Look with me at the promise of good news in 2 Kings 7, 1 and 2. When the king of Israel discovered the horrible things happening throughout his land, he tore his clothes in despair and sent a messenger to find Elisha. And the king was really upset with Elisha because he knew the power of Elisha and he thought this was Elisha's doing. How many of you know if you're the preacher, you get blamed for everything? And so Elisha got blamed. And the king was really ticked off at him. And he says to him in 2 Kings 6.31, May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. Eventually the king's messenger arrived at Elisha's house, blaming the prophet and the Lord for all the famine and misery in their land. But Elisha responded to the messenger, with a most unbelievable promise, a most unlikely promise. In fact, given the circumstances, if you had been a part of that scenario, there's no way you would ever have believed that this was going to happen. This is what Elisha said. Listen to this message from the Lord, he said. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. And that doesn't seem like that's possible. Here is a nation that is besieged. They're in the midst of the worst famine they've ever known. They've been reduced to eating donkey's heads. This just grosses me out every time I think about it. (laughs) And yet, Elisha says, in 24 hours, everything's gonna be different. In 24 hours, you'll be able to get food inexpensively. Now, I know a lot can change in 24 hours. You know that too. Sometimes we look to tomorrow and we expect it all to be the same as it was today, and it's never quite that way. And we know that God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. But when you read a story like this and you see the situation and you hear the promise, you say, come on, man, that isn't going to happen. In fact, the king's messenger was a skeptic, and he probably speaks for many of us. And he thought the news was too good to be true. So this is how he responded to Elisha, verse 2 of chapter 7. That couldn't happen, he said, even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. He said, there's not going to be food in Samaria. Even if the Lord opens the windows of heaven, it's not going to happen. This man heard the good news, and he rejected it, and he refused to believe Elisha's prediction. But more significantly, he mocked God's power. As a result, he fell under a curse. And Elisha said to him, in fact, you will see that with your eyes, but you will not get to eat any of the food. Now, notice secondly, the people of good news. The scene changes in the story, and Elisha's house is vacated, and we move to the city gate of Samaria. And this story is more interesting as we go along. Just outside the gate, trapped in no man's land between Samaria and the Syrians, There were four desperate lepers. Now, as you know, because we studied this before, lepers were outcasts. If you had leprosy, you had to leave the city. You had to live outside the city. You could only associate with other lepers. And if anybody came close to you, you had to hold your hand up and say, unclean, unclean. Now, there were four men with leprosy having a conversation. And uh, we weren't there, but for our benefit, it's recorded for us in the Scripture. And let me read it to you from verses 3 and 4 
in 2 Kings chapter 7. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance to the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So they came to the conclusion that if they stayed there and didn't do anything, nobody was going to help them. If they went back into Samaria, the city was besieged and they were in famine, so they wouldn't get anything good there. So their only other option was, maybe if we just surrender to those who have come after us, the Syrians, they might be kind to us. So at twilight, the four lepers set out for the camp of the Syrians, and when they got there, the most miraculous thing you've ever read happened. Now, some of you have read this in the Scripture, but I would imagine most of you don't do a lot of devotional reading in Second Kings, so it may have been a while since you read this. This is an incredible story. When they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they arose and fled at twilight, now watch this, and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. So just put yourself now in the mind of these four lepers. They're going to turn themselves into the Syrians, and when they get to the Syrians' camp, they're gone. There's not a soul there, and they didn't take anything with them when they left. So they have just fallen upon the greatest spoil you have ever heard of in your life. They arrive at the Syrian camp. They discover a miracle had taken place. Someone has called this the miracle of noise. (laughs) That night, the Syrians heard the sound of armies that wasn't there. It scared them so bad They jumped up out of their tents, didn't take anything with them, and they ran out of their camp. And when the four lepers got there, they couldn't believe their eyes. They couldn't believe what they saw. Here's what happened. The Lord caused the Syrian army to hear the noise of massive troop movements coming in their direction. They heard the sound of chariots rumbling. They heard the sound of the soldiers shouting. They heard the sound of the trumpets giving the battle cry. They heard the sound of sword clashing against sword. It was loud and sudden and immediate, and in sheer panic, the entire army ran for its life, leaving their camp and all their provisions behind. Can you imagine the look on the leper's face? Are you kidding me? What is going on here? Spread out before them was enough food and water to feed an entire army. And not only that, the Bible says they went from empty tent to empty tent to gather all the clothes and silver and gold they could carry. And the four lepers went from desperation to deliverance in just a matter of a few hours. I think God is reminding us that good news is for desperate people. And these people were desperate. Remember how unlikely the prophecy seemed when we first read it, that tomorrow you'd be able to have food in Samaria and it wouldn't cost but a little bit? Well, here's what happened. We've seen the promise of good news and the people of good news. Now watch the proclamation of good news. Verses 9 through 11. Later that day, the four lepers had an epiphany. Good news is meant to be shared. 
Isn't that true? If you've ever experienced how difficult it is to keep a wonderful secret to yourself, then you know how these men felt. They couldn't just allow this to be something four men enjoyed. They knew what was going on back in Samaria. So when they couldn't stay quiet any longer, they said one to another, we are not doing right, verse 9. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment is going to come on us. Now, therefore, come, let us go tell the king's household. Verse 9 says the four lepers actually felt guilty about keeping the good news to themselves. They were not doing right by remaining silent. There was no way they could stay in the camp counting their treasure without going back to announce the good news to their friends in Samaria. So these four men packed their bags and headed back to Samaria. And when they arrived at the city gate, they told the gatekeepers exactly what had happened. And the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Good news is contagious. Did you ever notice that? I think these men discovered the simple secret to evangelism. In a word, it's excitement. And they were so excited about what the Lord had done for them. As someone has said, it's not enough to find good news. It's not enough to enjoy good news. It's not even enough to celebrate good news. You've got to share good news. That's what good news is about. It's not to be kept to yourself. It's to be shared with others. So you have the promise of good news and the people of good news and the proclamation of good news. Now the proof of good news. By the end of the day, the good news about the scattering of the Syrian army had reached the king's ear. But there was a problem. The king thought this was a trap. Notice verse 12. The king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. In military terms, the king thought the Syrians had made a tactical withdrawal in order to set up an ambush. In a word, he was full of doubt. But the king wasn't like the messenger we met at the beginning of our story. The messenger was hard-hearted. His rejection of Elisha's message, even laughing at it, stands alone. But the king seems to be someone who was genuine in his doubt and who was open to being persuaded if there really was good news. Perhaps we should call him a seeker rather than a skeptic. Now notice this. The king didn't keep his doubts to himself. He shared them with his servants. And that's an important lesson to learn when you're doubting. Don't keep them to yourself. You need to share them with somebody. And when the servant heard about the king's doubt, they wanted to provide him with proof of the good news. So they sent two chariots with horses into the Syrian camp. And as they rode through the area, all they discovered was a trail of clothing and weapons that the soldiers had dumped in their panicked escape. The good news was true. And a few hours later, the scouts returned and told the king about it. And then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Syrian camp. And the famine was finally over. No more donkey's head for dinner in Samaria. They went into the camp and found in this miraculous way that God had provided for them. Often we doubt the good news for good reason, but once in a while the good news is true, and usually when God's involved, it is. Now, there's one final thing we need to talk about, and that's the perfection of good news. And that's in verses 17 through 20, but let me go back to verse 1 of chapter 7. 
Here was the prophecy. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. That impossible promise ends 24 hours later with these words. Verse 17 of chapter 7. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came into his house. And the man of God had said to the king, by this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost one piece of silver. The good news had come true in exactly the manner Elisha had promised. That's the perfection of good news. Now, that's a great story. And it's got a lot of applications. But there's a couple lessons I want to leave in our hearts because these Old Testament stories are given to us as illustrations and examples of New Testament truth. The first thing I want you to take away from this story is the importance of sharing the good news in your life. You can enjoy and share the good news of someone else. It might just bless you. It might just lift their spirits. It might just change everything about their day if you share the good news. First of all, it reminds them that there still is good news out there, and God is in the good news business. And then number two, don't just share the good news in your life. Share the best news in your life. As Christians, we don't have just good news to share. We have the best news to share. Remember, the good news is the gospel. And when we share the gospel, we're telling people the best news in the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people don't tell anybody about what Jesus has done for them because someone has told them, maybe somebody like me, that before you witness to someone, you have to go to a class or you have to be trained I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I want to tell you that the simplicity of witnessing is just telling somebody else what God has done for you. That's what a witness does. And every one of us can do that. You may not know how to share the plan of salvation. You may feel totally intimidated by the process, but every one of us can tell somebody else how God took us out of our desperate situation and brought into our hearts good news. I want to encourage all of us to do that. Someone you know needs to hear your good news. We ought to share not only good news with others, we ought to share the best news with others. And do it as naturally as you can. It doesn't have to be done in church. You don't have to do it in a Bible study. You can do it over the phone, over the back fence, at the gym, wherever you may be. Let me just tell you what God has done in my life. If we would ever catch that disease, if we would ever get infected by that disease, we would change the world in which we live. Because all God is asking from us is that we say to others, this is what God has done for me, and he's willing to do it for you. If we were to begin to do that, maybe we could start doing it this week. What a difference it would make, and how many people would be touched. And if you're listening, watching, either here or around the network, and you don't know what it means to have the good news, let me tell you, here's the good news. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be forgiven of all your sin, and he wants to save you and give you eternal life. 
He paid the penalty for every wrong deed you have ever done or will ever do when he died on the cross. And all you have to do is ask him to forgive you. Confess that you believe he is the son of God and he will come and live within your heart. And that, my friend, is the best good news you will ever hear in your life. So, will you accept that good news? Will you receive that good news? And will you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and thank him for his love for you and the good news of salvation? I hope you'll do that today. You can do it anywhere. You don't have to be in church. Uh, If you're in your car, you can pull over to the side of the road, as many hundreds of people have done over the years. And just pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive your sin, and he will do it. And you can become a Christian. Well, friends, we are very excited about a project that is about to uh, be unveiled here in this country on October the 5th. This brand new book called Where Do We Go From Here will be introduced in bookstores all over the country. There's still time for you to get a pre-sale copy, and I hope you will go to our website and find out all about that. We'll be on television over the weekend, and everywhere you can imagine will be there. On major networks, on local stations, and I hope if you can do so, you will find a way to watch that. Uh, If the program is on during the time you normally go to church, go to church. And having DVR'd the program, you can come home and watch it. I hope you will do it. It's a very important message for what's going on in our country today. And we'll give you a taste for what's in this new book that comes out on the 5th of October. So good to be with you today. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you here on Monday. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., B4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2022 moving toward hope filled with scriptures and images to encourage your walk it's yours for a gift of any amount you can also download the free turning point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords turning point ministries to instantly access our content visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details this is david michael jeremiah join us monday as we continue the series elisha the double blessed prophet here on turning point If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Here is an epitaph on a gravestone that makes biblical sense. What I kept for myself, I no longer have. What I gave away to others, I have now and always will. We're often told that you can't take it with you. But if we use what we have on earth to glorify God, there will be treasure waiting for us in heaven. 
Jesus made that clear, of course, in his well-known words about laying up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. Things done on earth for the sake of heaven are the only things we will find rewarded when we get there. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plan for heavenly rewards on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.